Iowa everywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, boys, it's game day. Let's go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today. My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice. Skull! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-Men are having a great year. Let's go blue! Here we go. Primetime football. Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes! Review. Yes! Yes! Heartland Flags. Every sport. Every team. Every flag. Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington flag, too. Find your flag and so much more with fast, free shipping. Heartlandflags.com. Every sport. Every team. Every flag. Almost. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. Welcome into the Channel Seed Studios for Episode 17 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. I'm a sports columnist who covers the Hawkeyes. With you on this Monday morning edition of our show, two days after the Hawkeyes suffer a 26 to nothing defeat to Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game, and one day after earning a Citrus Bowl bid against Tennessee on January 1st in Orlando, Florida. Lots to unpack today with my uh, teammate here on the show, award-winning writer Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Scott, we do have an ambitious agenda today. We will hit offense, we will hit defense, we will hit the transfer portal and other stuff. But first off, what was your overarching feeling walking out of Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday night? A lack of surprise, frankly. I mean, 26 to nothing was probably what, if you would have told me that's what the score would be, I would have totally believed it, and that's pretty much what it was. Um, Iowa's defense played one of its best games I've ever seen, not even just this year, but in general, uh, to the way that they shut down one of the best offenses in the country, the number one team in the country, to held them to 213 yards, the least since 2016, um, the and 3.3 yards per carry, the least since 2016, the same game, obviously, Iowa, Michigan. Uh, and then the offense was completely inept once again. And this was a combination, and we'll get into this in, in detail, but combination of lack of execution, game planning, and, and, and play calling. So it all went hand in hand and right down and drowned itself in the river. So I think this is uh, uh, overall um, a gutty, gritty, tough effort, but 
one that showed uh, how close Iowa is to competing and how far away is from winning championships. Good analysis there. I mean, I kind of walked away thinking this game really should have been closer the way the defense played. I mean, this should have been something like, and I'm not saying Iowa would have won, but um, if not for just a completely inept offense, uh, you know, something like 16 to seven or, you know, 16, six, it felt like that more like that kind of game. Obviously the 87 yard punt return was a major impact in this game. And, you know, I've written about it. I'm actually writing about it again as I'm finishing up DVR Monday now. But, you know, if Cooper DeGene plays, and I know these are ifs and buts, candy and nuts type mm-hmm. of things, but if he plays, that that never happens, uh, that part return. There's no question about that. Um, and this game is is different. I'm not going to say the outcome changes, but I don't think it becomes 26 to nothing. Um, so I just kind of walked out of there feeling like, yeah, if you just had any offense at all, you'd be – at least competitive, but you don't. So <laughs> that's where we're at. Uh, I want to mm-hmm. remind folks that Legends and Listeners is brought to you by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S., always has fresh products, nearly every team, every sport, every flag. Visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. All this, Scott, leads to uh, the Citrus Bowl birth, and it's not like that was no surprise, of course, but I wanted to kind of tie that together, if we could, with the future playoff and this year's playoff rankings. I know it's a lot, but I think it'll make sense as we go here. Uh, Iowa plays a very unappealing brand of football. I think you would say, you know, if you look at them on paper against other 10 and 2 teams, a general audience might say, yeah, let's give the 10 and 2 nod to that SEC team over there, you know, for the, for a 12 team playoff, right? <laughs> so, it's something Iowa has to address at some point, right? Uh, they have to become more appealing. This is an entertainment industry. Brian Ferentz told me that in his podcast, our podcast many years ago. He's come to grips with the fact this is an college football is entertainment. You, this style of play, and I'm not saying that's what cost Florida State, but it kind of did because they didn't have the flashy quarterback, right? They did everything else they needed to do against Louisville. They did everything they were asked to do during the regular season, right? So they got left out. SEC goes in with with one loss. Um, I don't know. I, I think you know where I'm going with this, but just next year when it's a 12-team playoff, if it's Iowa versus some other team and you don't have something that's exciting, we saw yesterday that you're going to get left out. Let's take this in a realistic hypothetical for Iowa football right now. And that is, let's say um, the players that get injured didn't get injured. The the foursome, the main four. Um, let's say they Cooper DeGene's touchdown counts against Minnesota. And it was 11-1 going against 12-0 to, to win the Big Ten championship. And with those four players, they pull off a shocker. They pull off the win. And I think – when you look back at the 16 game and then this game, the defensive effort was comparable. The offenses, and that was not a good offense at any stretch. I mean, I think they threw for 55 yards that day. But when you had a good quarterback and you had um, a very good running back and you marry the two and probably a much better play calling that day, um, then you could pull out a 14-13 win. And 
Iowa certainly was capable of that with even a, a mediocre offense the other day. Had that happened, they would have been left out. <laughs> you know, they would have beaten Michigan 14-13, and then the chaos would have been there, and Florida State would have been in, and Michigan would have been out, and so would Iowa. And that's where we would have been left out. Because when you are talking about this is the one sport primarily where people's opinions matter the most because it is a selection committee. When people pick polls, they choose and they choose based on their biases. And right now um, you can agree or disagree about it, but the bias is towards offense and, and a visual appeal. Iowa is considered a, a crappy football team by a lot of people, not because of their record, but because of the way they play offense. And you have to address that because this isn't the NFL where it's all, everything's lined up and you can walk right in and okay, you're 12 and five and you're getting into the number two seed. You get voted on if you're the one seed or the four seed, or if you're going to the playoff and you, Iowa has to address that because if you get left out, if they would have gotten left out under that scenario I painted, um, you know, it would have been devastating. You win the Big Ten championship and you'd be 12 and one and you don't get to go to the playoff in a 14 playoff. That would be devastating. And and a lot of that is visual appeal, Chad. And yeah, that I, I like how you said that about the NFL, because you're right. That's that's where Kirk Ferentz comes from. You know, it's black and white bottom line results. Yeah. And certainly the players all buy into that, et cetera. But the reality is that it does have to change at some point. You you cannot rely on this style anymore um, to get the benefit of the doubt. Maybe someday it'll shift, but I'm just looking at the at the Florida State uh, Louisville box score. They won mm -hmm. 16 to six with a third string quarterback the other night in the ACC championship game, a week after going into the swamp and beating Florida with a backup quarterback, and also what was not. It was an Iowa-style win, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think if, if anyone who watched that game. You know, their passing stats, 8 for 21, 55 yards. Iowa's passing stats against Michigan in 2016, 8 for 19, 66 yards. Uh, they ran the ball well that day. Florida State ran the ball well the other day. But what did we hear? We heard, well, their quarterback's out. So, yeah. so they're not in the playoff. And uh, maybe that's an excuse, but I think that's probably the main reason they got left out is um, they they didn't value the other 21 players on the field, the way they played defense, um, all that th all that stuff. They beat LSU by more than Alabama did. I'm not making a case. I can make a case for Alabama, too. I totally and I would if I had to. But um, it came down to style of play. And so I'm not saying I was ever going to change its style of play, but you you just this has to be a wake up call. If if not for Kirk Ferentz, then for whoever the next coach is. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes down to not only style of play, but I think it's passing system. It's passing play. Uh, when you look at Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, primarily those three, they they run. I would say pro style offenses, physical offenses. They run the football. They they don't have like um, running quarterbacks per se. They they try to play that way, and Iowa tries to play that way too. But their passing systems, and they have athletes, but are diverse enough 
that you can exploit defenses in multiple ways. And Iowa hasn't done that for a long, long time. It's just kind of done what it's done for 15 years. And, and it, it really needs to evolve. And, um, you know, and we can discuss this at length, you know, which is you, you look at the, the schematics of the other day, Chad, and, and the game planning. I, I don't, you know, I don't think that they didn't work hard at it. I just don't think that they work smart at it at times. And, and I looked at the, you know, the, the groupings um, going into the other night. They only ran tw- they only had two plays all year out of a zero two formation, which is two tight ends, three wide receivers. The other night, I believe it was nine or ten. I miscounted on something earlier, so I got to go back through the video. But but it's either nine or ten the other day. And when you look at it, why do you do that? Now, if you have Eric All and, and Luke Lachey or even one of those two and Addison Ostranga, I'm all in. But when you don't. Why are you putting a true freshman out there in that position? Why are you putting anybody else besides Addison Ostranga in that position? You, you, you're basically saying our second tight end in a five receiver set all wide in shotgun is better than our third or fourth wide receiver. I, I don't get that. I think that's a disservice to the, to the scheme because you're ba- then they're covering that guy with a defensive back and they've never proven that they can run those routes. So, you know, it, that part was incredibly frustrating, and especially the rewatch, which was there were the, the, sequen- the sequential order of some of the um, formations to go along with the plays called at this certain times was, was really, really bad, Chad. I hate to say it, but it's just it, this was going to be a tough game. They weren't going to win it no matter what. But they were not helped out by the the, the scheme or the play calling. Well, uh, this uh, on my show outline, this was a <laughs> kind of our meaty uh, topic we were going to attack. And uh, why don't you kind of brought the segue into it? So I think just for the purposes of continuing this convo, you know, let's go into that now, and then we'll kind of circle back to what we're maybe our second topic mm-hmm. as we go. I think that's good to have that flexibility because that's top of mind for me too, Scott. Uh, because uh, you mentioned the, I guess you call it O two formation. Do you call it yeah. two or O two? What do you? I say? call it O two just to O2, make sure. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I've got I got my notes right here. You can kind of see yeah. O two. I don't know if you can see it or not, but uh, first, the first five times Scott that Iowa had third and third and medium to long they went oh two so it was clear they came in the brian ferentz came into this game with that strategy and they had a bunch set i believe in all five of those this is all in the first half they had a bunch set in all five of those with uh one tight end one receiver one receiver on one side and then receiver tight end on the other side so um you know and zach zach ortworth was that guy um and all five of them failed. <laughs> um, the so I don't and I didn't ever understand when I rewatched these what were they even trying to do. So for example, the very first one, very first series of the whole game, it's third and five. Actually, my favorite play call of the game was the second one by Brian, which was the jet sweep to Caleb Brown. I thought that they should have just done more of that all all game long. Mm-hmm. You know, the first the first play was a was a bootleg for no yards to Addison Estranga. And that was like, you know, that's kind of a bread and butter play. Yeah, Mich- Michigan showed right there. It wasn't going to work fine. 
Second down, fine with that too. You got a, you got five yards on that jet jet sweep. But then third and five, it's a four man mm-hmm. rush. There's there's a little pressure from the left, but nobody's really an outlet receiver. They're all running, you know, slow curl patterns at the sticks. Nothing creative at all. There's no meshing. There's no anything. It's just five guys running the same route. And, you know, Deacon Hill's not not smart enough to figure out which guy to throw to. Deontay Vines was probably most open there, but he throws to Ortworth, who drops the pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, who's tightly covered because he can't yeah. get open because he's a true freshman tight end against a defensive back. So right. it just doesn't make – that didn't make sense. And then I'm a, there's, there's a bunch of others. I mean, uh, they all failed. And then the one that really kind of drove me nuts was third and five, late in the first half. You've been, I guess he's been setting this up all game, supposedly. He's got the, the three bunch guys to the right, and then Ostrenga and Caleb Brown to the left. Third and five from your own, I think it was 14 yards. 14, line. yeah. Yeah. And they try to throw the wide receiver screen to Caleb Brown. And Brown, maybe this is what he was taught. Maybe he didn't do it right, but he basically takes one step back and kind of stands there waiting for the screen. And if it had gotten there, it would have been completely blown up. That had no chance. I don't understand what they, what the concept is there. Like Michigan's got athletes to close on that stuff. It's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not fooling anybody mm-hmm. and you're not blocking anybody. So you're basically into, you're, you're counting on that screenplay to get thrown against, I guess, soft coverage or something, but that, you know, Michigan closes quickly. The ball gets batted down. It doesn't matter anyway. But why not have Brown running toward the quarterback like they used to do with Ken O'Keefe, those tunnel Mm. screens, you know, where you're you're kind of running into instead of just standing there waiting for the ball. Uh, It was just like – it almost felt like he was trying to set that play up the whole game, and then when the play – when they threw it, it was just a total disaster. So it's just – Really, really abject failure from the offensive coordinator and this offense. Yeah. The execution part we knew was going to be very difficult. I mean, athlete for athlete, it is a no comparison. It is it's max school at best offense against one of the best defenses in the country. It's there is no I mean, there are three levels of difference between, you know, Iowa is not Ohio State or even Penn State or or Indiana, for that matter, going up against Michigan. It just doesn't have anything that it can do. And when you try to, to pull a screen like that in a real pivotal part of the game, but it's also on your own 14, that is a very dangerous call. And your Caleb Brown is not going to be able to out-juke all those other guys. He's just, you know, this this team just took out Marvin Harrison and, and Mika Obuka, you know, so they, they've got – you know, it's like, come on, guys, you know, um, but, you know, they they ran at times effectively, but, you know, they they weren't overly committed to it because the in, the problem is that their best plays have been more interior counters. And then you look at, um, you know, Michigan, their, their strength is their defensive tackles. So it mitigated anything that Iowa really wanted to do. Iowa tried an outside zone at one point, and that was completely destroyed because their their perimeter and and their their the way they chase backs is uh, elite. And Iowa didn't have anybody who could set the edge. And uh, but 
you know, I, I don't, I think Zach Ortworth's going to be a great player. I mean, the fact that he's a true freshman and he's making these kind of impacts is important, but in that situation, the true freshman trying to make, have separation on these routes. I, I just, I think that they're, they're so, they're so complicated and convoluted for the, for what Iowa has that it just, it needs to come back to ground zero. And what are you going to do next? And I mean, there, there are certain things that they should do that they won't do. They refuse to do, which is running quarterback. Running quarterback is one way to differentiate this offense and make it change a little bit. And that they're just not committed to doing that. So, so what then I, I think Iowa has been a disappointing program when it comes to screen game forever. I don't understand if you, how you can be a zone blocking team up until the last year or so and not be able to throw and have movement players along the line of scrimmage and not be able to throw running back screen passes on a regular consistent basis because they work. They work tremendously well if you can do it. And Iowa's never done it. I don't even know why they don't try or what. And then their, their receiver screens, yeah, the tunnel screen, you, you're good for that for about once a year when Ken O'Keefe was here even as a quarterback's coach. They don't even teach it. And, and remember, you know, one one play, I'm not going to give too many plaudits to Greg Davis because I wasn't a real fan of his either, but one play that they used to do was the one-step throw to like the slot receiver running kind of towards the sideline. And a lot of times that gained six, seven, eight, nine yards. I always remember C.J. Beathard throwing it to Matt Vandenberg. What happened to that? Where's that? I mean, it's just it, – it's, it's basic and it, it's weird because it's like this – vortex of being so overly basic and easy to predict with being so difficult to, to manufacture in the past game that nobody can run it effectively and everybody can stop it. Well, uh, <laughs> let's continue the conversation. I mean, because uh, I do want to mention Circus Sports as uh, the exclusive sports betting app of Iowa Everywhere. Circus Sports is sports betting the way it should be with the highest limits, lowest holds, and best odds. Download the app today at the App Store or circusports.com. Iowa is currently an eight-point underdog against Tennessee, um, which underscores the you know with that defense um, underscores the lack of confidence in the offense. So, what uh, let's let's kind of move the conversation forward a little bit here, Scott, because um, it's a different era. Like transfer portal open today, and Iowa has to move on an offensive coordinator. And you're not going to get anyone to come here without something going on at OC. Uh, the folks at the NIL Collective need to know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. That offensive coordinator, Kirk Ferentz, you know, obviously Brian Ferentz staying through the bowl game. But you're also risking losing some offensive players, maybe a running back, maybe a receiver, certainly probably your third string quarterback. So, uh, what do you think? I mean, is Kirk Ferentz really going to just not do anything until January 2nd, 3rd, 4th? Or do you think he gets the wheels in motion now? I know he's heard from candidates. And I know that he people have sent stuff to him and told him things. And he's talked about certain people. and But as far as you know, this is a real mystery because this is so unfairance like because he obviously he has to hire the replacement for his own son. 
in a time and a place that he never would have wanted to do to begin with. Um, and that he has, you know, the clock is ticking and ticking very loudly. And then you throw on the fact that he had a championship game to prepare for that, you know, it, it really, <laughs> it expedites everything. I mean, you know, I know he's, I think out in Vegas early this week because Robert Gallery's going into the hall of fame. Uh, you know, the portal's cooking right now. Um, you know, how active would they be? I don't really know. I don't know that they would be overly active. Maybe they would look at players. I'm sure that's, you know, they're not going to look for the players like they did last year necessarily where it has to be a first day quarterback. But I do think he needs to encourage the players he has and those who are considering staying, who want to stay if it's advantageous for them from a style of play and who's going to be calling the plays and who's going to be designing the plays and how that's going to go. And um, is if it's going to be a continuation with John Budmeyer, or is it going to be Paul Christ or is it going to be somebody that maybe we don't even know because he's looking around and, and he is getting a lot of recommendations and I'm sure he's sifting through those, but ultimately, you know, it's a critical one for the back last couple of holes of his career. He's got, you know, otherwise, you know, they get this wrong. They're going to go down kind of Hayden Fryville the last, couple of years of his tenure or last six, seven years of his tenure, which he had a little bit of a rise, but other than that, it was really flatlining. So, you know, Chad, what do you think? I mean, do you think this is going to be a, something where by the end of tomorrow that he's going to have a beat on somebody, or is this going to be, well, we're just going to take it, you know, day by day and, you know, I'll talk and, and hopefully Iowa's bureaucracy allows him to move expeditiously fast. <laughs> Uh, you know, my, what I have to go on is the history here with Kirk Ferentz, which is, you know, he's, he's taking every game, one game at a time. Obviously the championship game delayed everything a little bit more, but we've seen Penn state already name an OC. Um, I mean, things are moving out there mm-hmm. and these guys want to have, they're going to want to have answers. I do know that they're, the coaches are meeting with the players today, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, you know, the Broyles ceremony tomorrow, Ferentz, like you said, in Vegas tomorrow. So today's kind of the day where players are going to have come into the, his office with questions. And I'd be, I would love to know what his answers are. <laughs> hey, we got, we, I know what I'm going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Or, you know, we're going to get through the bowl game first and then we'll start sifting through it because the mm-hmm. portal's open from now till what is it? January 2nd, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's when players can enter the portal. In other words. So um uh, if you don't have any answers for them by January 2nd, the day after the bowl game, they can still enter then. So yeah. uh, it's it's a risky spot, and it kind of circles back for me to where we started this conversation, which is if you don't move quick, the window, literally, portal window, is going to close on you, and you need to be 10-2 and two next year if you want to get in the playoff. Yeah. Like it's no now that it's 12 teams, it's not going to be, oh, yay, we're going to the Music City Bowl at eight and four. Like, yeah. that's just not going to be good enough. <laughs> the bar's been the bar's been raised. You've got you've got a schedule where you can go 10 and two next year where you can go 10 and two and have quality opponents. So um, if you're just going into this like a regular offseason, I don't I think that's a poor strategy i'm not saying he's doing that but it concerns me that you know brian ferentz is the coordinator through this game i don't 
I don't know what that does for you really either. I realize that's the plan, but why, you know, why keep him as coordinator for this game? I mean, I realize that's how they do things, but it was so bad in Indy. You might as well just go out on that one. That was a turd. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, he's employed through the bowl game. If somebody hires him tomorrow, he can leave too, you know, like most coaches in this world do. Um, I, you know, a bowl game is a bowl game. Now, now bowl games other than playoff bowls are glorified exhibitions. There's just really not going to be anything that's going to um, energize the base. Uh, they don't even matter as much as they did five years ago. I mean, they're a game, they're important, but you've got to be cognizant that there's more um, out there at, you know, I, uh, what, what, what about the other positions? I don't, I can't imagine that every single staffer would probably stay, um, you know, and a lot of that's going to be, you know, after bowl games, when you have the convention and there's going to be some movement there, but I think OC is different. OC is different than let's say, let's say Kelton Copeland becomes offensive coordinator at New Mexico state, <laughs> you know, just to throw it out there, then, you know, you got to replace a wide receivers coach. That's something you can do six weeks down the road or two months down the road if you need to. But when you're talking about an OC and a portal opening, you've got to be diligent and you've got to put that out there right now. So then people on your own roster go, okay, I'm excited. Something different. We're going to change. We're going to get better. And then other people might go, oh, okay. I can kind of see that because, you know, there, there are the positions that Iowa needs to look at and um, you know, chat on offense some of it to me is going to depend on if one or both tight ends come back if one of them comes back and you have Addison Ostranga I feel like you could probably not have to worry about the portal at that position what do you do at offensive line it's still at times it's been good but it's also been inconsistent and how much of that is injury related how much of that is um, talent related how much of that is coaching related I don't know um and but they've got to assess that and then wide receiver really had one and that was a guy you didn't play until the last couple of games of the year so you know do you do you think the younger guys can grow or are they just guys you know so you know those are the questions i have immediately and of course at running back you know it, it you would be naive to think that all three would return Good breakdown there, yeah, and that's why these player meetings today are, are so important. I think Kirk Ferentz will at least get an idea where these guys are leaning, and he kind of talked about it yesterday during the Citrus Bowl press conference that, you know, now is the time when they're going to at least try to get a feel for that, and he will encourage guys that maybe aren't all in to to explore elsewhere. So, And then you, of course, got sixth-year decisions, mostly on the defensive side, side of the ball mm. um, that could be really impactful. Um, yeah, my mind's kind of racing on this stuff. I would say you need it. You need a tackle. Um, and that's no offense to anybody currently playing tackle, but you know, I think Jennings Dunker will be a tackle for the team next year. Hopefully Mason Richmond gets healthy and all that. But, uh, if they could get, you know, a Caden Proctor type, <laughs> I hate to say that, but, uh, yeah. you know, somebody over there, maybe you can move Mason inside and really bolster the interior line next year. You could have you could have Richmond, Jones, Colby on the interior of that line. You know, I know they 
count on development, all that stuff. But you just need to you need to be better at tackle, um, just to, in general. And you got to have more depth at tackle too. Clearly, did not come to fruition this year with Day John Parker, etc. So uh, that's yeah, that's a priority for me. Um, and I feel like that's a position you can recruit to Iowa, regardless of coordinator. So maybe maybe that's something. Um, yeah, and receiver because you lose Reggiani. Um, you know, does Deontay Vines, does Seth Anderson jump in um, the portal? Maybe, maybe one does. I mean, you, you gotta, you're gonna have to find someone there too, and that's probably gonna come up, come down to Cade McNamara a little bit too. Like, mm-hmm. can he recruit somebody to come here? Um, I think that's a that's something to consider. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to like say that Brian Ferentz shouldn't call plays in Orlando. I mean, he he's uh, he's clearly, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't say clearly, but he's uh, he's definitely on his way out. And uh, you know what? He's going to be having to work on resumes and all that. <laughs> he's got to be making calls this month, right? Like yeah. so. So I guess what I'm saying is, for the good of the team, would there be an argument to say, "Hey, John Budmeyer, you're coordinating the offense this month. Brian will help out. He'll he'll do everything he needs, but you're coordinating the offense this month. You're calling the plays." Uh, I don't know if you can, I guess, as an analyst, but maybe, I don't know. There's probably some logistical stuff there. I'm just saying, what about something like that? Just because you're not going to get probably Brian's full attention this month anyway, and maybe you don't even want it. (laughs) Well, there's what you and I would think and do, and then there's, you know, he's Brian Ferentz, and he's the son of Kirk Ferentz, and he's going to call the plays unless he has another job. And... Now, you can pretty much let him do his thing all the way up until game prep week, you know, and then, then he has to be invested. So for the next two to three weeks through Christmas or so, he That's can, fair. You can worry, uh, worry about other things. He can't, doesn't have to worry about recruiting. He's not going to be here. You know, maybe he helps out, but, um, you know, he's not going to help out his own job search, I can't imagine, you know, for, for his position. I don't know why he would. Uh, but you know, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I would then even if the next OC comes in, you want to get them on campus as soon as possible to work with with people. I mean, at least discuss life with them, um, you know, and, you know, the, another X factor to me is, is Kate McNamara. He was never healthy this year and he's coming off an ACL. So which means he's not gonna be able to practice in the spring. You know, what do you do at quarterback? Do you just go in status quo? You know, maybe the new OC has some ideas. Maybe they don't involve Kate McNamara. Maybe they involve somebody else. Um, I think they put a lot in that, like almost all the chips in the Cade McNamara pot. And for what? I mean, even in the beginning of the year, it, it, yeah, I'm waiting. I, you know, I remember going to the Penn State game going, this is his time. This is why he came to Iowa. And it was a horrific game. Not all his fault at all. And then he got hurt and he had tore his ACL. So then you're looking at training camp before he gets back in the flow. And now he'll be able to do seven on seven, I'm sure. But still, that's that's a lot. And you're putting it on him. And is he that good? Can he win you a championship? You know, let's be fair here. Michigan had a machine two years ago. He was part of it. That's it. You know, so... a lot, of, a lot of things to question at this point in the big picture. Narrowly, once they wrap it all up and go forward, we'll c- cover it the way it is. But at this point, I think you got to you got to really 
focus on every single aspect and ask, is this the best for the program and the team? Because otherwise you're doing a disservice to the whole program, which is what they've done, frankly, the last three years to the defense. They've done a disservice to the defense, maybe even four years, uh, based on the, the what the offense hasn't been able to do. Great point. I uh, want to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Steeple Ridge Bourbon. During this holiday season, Steeple Ridge Bourbon can guarantee you a high quality, delicious drinking bourbon. If you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite retailer, ask for it by name. Steeple Ridge is distilled, aged, and bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. You mentioned the defense, Scott. Let's flip to that side of the ball here. Uh, just a gem of a performance by Phil Parker. And I realize, you know, they they were playing from behind all game. I totally get the fact that Michigan, you know, didn't have to force the issue once it got out in front too much. But uh, I thought you, – you mentioned it. I thought, uh, you know, this is one of Phil Parker's better games <laughs> as a defensive coordinator – uh, the adjustment to the four-one-six uh, in passing situations was outstanding. Uh, you put Cohen Entringer out there in place of Nick Jackson, and uh, Brian Allen got a few snaps. I think seven, maybe um, something like that, and uh, was able to. He didn't, you know, he wasn't. He was just part of the plans. They just, it, they were different, and it kind of. That's what drove me nuts about the offensive plan was there was just nothing new. There was no creativity. It was just blah. I don't remember any deep shots. But on defense, you saw, uh, you know, you saw a coach that went into a big game, made adjustments, and they worked. Uh, 213 yards for Michigan, three for 15 on third down for a a 50% third down team. Uh, I think both of us wanted to talk a little bit about the job that Phil Parker, Seth Wallace, Kelvin Bell, Jay Neiman did on Saturday night. No question. I mean, and you're talking about not having their most prominent player, you know, at a, at a quarterback. And yet, you know, it did affect them, especially early. Uh, Deshaun Lee was, they took advantage of Deshaun Lee. Um, but the defensive line played as good as it's played all year for sure. And not having, you know, the players, you know, not having that supreme pass rusher yet. I mean, this is a team that allowed 14 sacks all year and they had four and three in the first half and they were coming and they were fighting. I mean, this team couldn't hardly run the ball in Iowa. Um, They were breaking up passes. If it wasn't for incredibly short fields, you know, um, one by, you know, accident and one, one by, uh, you know, official ruling, one, you know, punt return and an official ruling. And then another fumble. I mean, you know, those three big plays led to 17 points, you know, maybe they will only lose nine to nothing or something, you know, um, now, you know, not to totally break news on here, but Terry O'Thompson just entered the portal. So, um, that's, that goes to next year, but overall, um, you know, to see the way Deontay Craig played, Y.A. Black, Jay Higgins, and, and Sebastian Castro may have been the best player on the game, either team. Um, I, I was just overly, overly impressed how they coached, how they fought, and how they brought it. You know, they they had a championship effort. You know, it just won't be realized. But I think most people watching that game understood how good they were and how what kind of position they were put in, and they – they damn near pulled off one of the great performances I've ever seen. 
Yeah, and you think about that, uh, all, all that stuff's outstanding, um, Scott. Uh, and you think about next year, it's going to be a really good defense again. And that's why we're kind of emphasizing the importance of this OC conversation because uh, let's say, I don't know, we don't know, but let's say Higgins or Castro comes back, maybe both. Uh, you've got we. I think we all saw Cohen Entringer becoming a guy the other night, um, despite you know a block in the back or whatever. Just with the hustle uh, he showed on that punt return, the trust they had in in him in four one six. You know, could he and Wampa be the safeties? Could you have? You know, you're probably going to need a corner to to emerge. Maybe it is Deshaun Lee. Maybe that's fine. Um, but you know, if Jamari stays. Also, that's another decision. This defense can be really good. You're going to have Herkett back, Craig back, Graves back. You think YA Black back, right? He's got another year. I don't think he's probably going to go pro. Um, be surprised. Um, you got you got you got the bones for another elite defense again. And mm-hmm. so that was even more encouraging that uh, what they did the other night because you could see. Think about Herkett, you know. Nebraska this game some other games too but man he was good <laughs> he's he's good like Joe Evans will be missed a lot but Ethan Herkett's going to be just fine yeah. uh you know and Deontay Craig just wasn't quite healthy this year I think he's going to be better next year and then you got Brian Allen again there's another example hey a little cup of coffee you earned your way to the field in, in week 13 now let's see let's see how that materializes next year and uh I feel like they've recruited well at that position too so uh, I feel really good about the defense next year. That's not a big shock, but I think it, it goes. It speaks again to Phil Parker and why he certainly is up for the Broyles Award tomorrow night. Yeah, well, you, you replace seven starters, and last year he led the country at three point nine nine yards per play. And this year, after playing Michigan, you st- you are second with three point nine nine yards per play allowed, and you're losing first round draft picks. You know, I mean, yesterday Jack Campbell had nine tackles. Uh, you know, Lucas Van Ness had a sack in prime time and you have Riley Moss that's playing for the Broncos. And, you you, you know, you have all these players who are who were there and then the, the kind of the glue pieces like a John Wagoner, Noah Shannon, Seth Benson, they're all gone. And Kayvon Merriweather played uh, 50 plus snaps yesterday for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So and yet you're able to replace those players and play at a very, very high level with with the developmental prospects. Other than WAPA, they're all three star types. And it shows just what Phil Parker is able to do, the system he puts in and the way players are able to perform. I mean, Jamar Harris has been really good this year. Um, You know, he was off for a year, missed the first two games with a suspension. And yet, you know, he's played at a pretty high level. Of course, Cooper DeGene is otherworldly and sorely missed but um you know each player is going to have to come up with their own decision as to what they want to stay i think it's going to determine how good iowa can be because if jay higgins comes back that's massive uh i think castro would be wise to lean towards it because i think he can boost his profile a little bit more jamari harris absolutely should come back you know, if at best he's a low, late, late, late round pick and probably one of those guys that's on the edge of a roster, he comes back and puts together the type of year that he's capable of. He could be a first team all Big Ten cornerback, go to the combine, maybe be a top 100 guy, but he hasn't really played a whole lot in his career. And then, you know, YA Black is kind of the same way where I think 
he would probably be looked at and like uh, fifth round guy, but he can elevate himself and be kind of that Jaleel Johnson type, you know, by the end of his career. So I, and then Phil, nobody's better period. Yeah. Uh, well put, um, you know, I have a new punter next year, of course, uh, oh, but yeah. but uh, we'll get to that later. We got a whole off season here, Scott. But yeah. uh, just in our final minutes, let's talk a little bit about the Citrus Bowl. Uh, what do you make of kind of this matchup against Tennessee? We all thought it would be Ole Miss, but they move up into the New Year's Six, so that uh, created a spot for a different SEC team. So Iowa will not face a you know New Year's Six team will not face LSU, who was at the Citrus Bowl last year. Um, so they get Tennessee, a rematch of the Hawk Slayer Bowl. <laughs> um, definitely a contrast in styles in this one. Um, I mean, I think it's important. Uh, the result, I was an eight-point underdog, as I mentioned, but you got a chance to get an 11th win here, and uh, you've got a defense that can do it. Sebastian Castro said after the game he does not expect any op- opt-outs. Yeah, I believe him. I don't know who would opt out, to be honest, knowing the guys like we do. If you have a name or thought, feel free. But I, I can't think of anybody who would opt out based on um, circumstances. So thoughts on the Citrus Bowl? Well, if you're talking about opt-outs, they're probably the guys who are already hurt. <laughs> I mean, no, a Cooper DeGene right. or a Luke yeah. Lachey, if they were capable of going to the draft, they might be those guys. But, you know, they're already injured. And, and who knows, you know, Luke may still – want to get on the field one more time and before making a final decision or what have you. But, um, you know, this, this is a contrast in styles all the way. I mean, you're talking about a team that averages, I think it's like 6.6 yards per play on offense. It's high voltage, very quick paced, um, temp, high tempo. Um, that's what they, how they like to play. Joe Milton is a really athletic skilled quarterback will he be there for the game i think that's as you know iowa may not have opt-outs but tennessee might um i think that's going to be pivotal here and then you look uh you know iowa what what they're able to do on defense um to slow that down but will it matter because will iowa's offense be able to take advantage of it they've got a really good pass rusher will he play um you know so tennessee is a talented team they're always talented they're kind of like well, they're like, you know, Illinois and Michigan State to me are always teams that are very talented, but yet never really live up to expectation. Tennessee kind of fits that, except they're usually more talented. Um, you know, will they have a backup quarterback playing instead of Joe Milton? I don't know, but um, you can expect, a, you know, when it's, when it's SEC Big Ten, you can expect a, a, a real, you know, difficult matchup and also one that's, highly anticipated, especially in the Citrus Bowl, which is kind of the the second prize in a beauty contest of bowls. <laughs> yeah. <fifth. laughs> yeah. We're going to, yeah. At Hawk Central, we'll have a podcast later this week, I think on uh, a little bit more on Tennessee because Dargan, um, you know, is a Tennessee fan. So he knows the, he knows them very well. He told me that they've got like a five-star like freshman or something that all the fans want to see. So mm-hmm. how about would you throw a five-star freshman out for his first game against Phil Parker? I don't know. <laughs> we saw Kentucky try to try to play a freshman last year. It did not go well. Yeah, that that would be really uh, you know it would be interesting to see if you know, Josh Heupel has that kind of 
uh, thoughts that he would do that. You know, it's, uh, you know, we talk about like degrees of separation. Here's kind of a funny little uh, degree of separation for this game. John, uh, you know, as we know, Chuck Long was the quarterback at Iowa for four years, starting Kurt Ferentz was the offensive line coach. Uh, hired Chuck as his quarterback's coach for his first year after he, you know, his final year with Hayden Fry. Then he left and went to Oklahoma where his quarterback was Josh Heupel and uh, Josh Heupel led the Sooners to the national championship in, in 2000. So under Chuck Long as quarterback's coach. So, uh, you know, not very many degrees of separation there. So I'll be anxious to hear a little bit more from Chuck about that, but um, I don't know that I would want to throw a five-star freshman. I think that could be a very difficult assignment. Um, but, you know, this is this is what bowls have to do, though. I think when you start outside of the playoffs, you have to, you know, teams are going to have opt-outs. Playoffs, they might not. But the regular bowls, they're going to have opt-outs. So you can kind of advertise them as take a look at your future because it doesn't even count. I mean, all, every red shirt now doesn't matter, you know, in, in, now, granted, Iowa has what blown two red shirts, Zach Hortworth and, and John Nestor, but but now it's a matter of you know anybody can play, and if you're a five star freshman that people want to see, and Joe Milton sidestep away, fire away, and if he has a decent game, <laughs> yeah, um, he's a, he's for real. If not, well, just shake it off. You just played one of the tougher defenses you'll face until you face uh, Georgia or Alabama next. Ferentz yesterday basically doubling down on Deacon Hill as their starter. But, what, you know, again, what about Marco Linez in this game? I mean, I don't think Iowa will do it, but the scenario is such where, again, if you weren't – if you didn't have Iowa's mentality, I think you would do it, <laughs> but, yeah. which is to win every game with the best guy possible, even if it's incrementally better. So, I don't know. I'd play Linez in this game in some way, shape, or form. Get him some experience. Yeah, I would too, but you know how they are with uh, <laughs> stuff. I, I, you know, I distinctly remember with a four and eight year when James Vandenberg was a senior, he, he took every snap at quarterback. No Jake Rudock, who's a redshirt freshman, who's the backup. They're four and eight. Last two games, they have, you know, no chance of going to a bowl game yet. There they are. You know, he's out there and, uh, you know, so it's, you know, and, and with Jake Rudock and then Nate Stanley and all these guys have always, you know, and even this year, you know, in that Rutgers game, could you give him Marco the last series 22 to nothing, sand the ball off? I don't know. You know, I, I would, I would have liked to have seen him, you know, say like six games ago, but uh, you know, uh, he, he's going to play if they're blown out or getting blown out, maybe he'll play. That's really about the only way he'll get out. All right. Good show, man. Uh, glad we could do this for you guys on a Monday. Um, appreciate you, man. Thanks for uh, your company in Indianapolis. Uh, didn't get to see any points, but at least we got to hang out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, got to have a quick trip back from Indy. And and uh, here we are. Uh, Cyhawk week as well. That's right. Yeah. Women on Wednesday, the men on Thursday. Uh, for Scott Docterman, this is Chad Lysico. Thanks for tuning in to Legends and Listeners from the Channel Seed Studios, and we will talk to you next week here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.